Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian. Two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life. So buckle up and don't be shy. Because yep, we're We're going going there. Hello, everyone. We are back again with another episode and have an exciting guest today. Yes. Who are you? Reveal yourself. You guys are funny. My name's Keith. We're friends. We know each other. Welcome, Keith. Bum, 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 bum. Glad to be here going there. Big fan of going there. I don't listen to all of them, but I listen to them. You guys are really good. I like hearing what your stories and things you're sharing. Different topics than what you're probably used mm-hmm. to. But, yeah, you're you know, not our demographic. It's but... in my podcast list, though. There you yes, go. There yeah. you go. We appreciate it. But yes, we work with Keith. He is a pastor at our church, and we have some exciting news that he is actually a co-author on a book that's coming out this fall, so we're excited to talk more about that. But Keith, why don't you start out for us? Tell us about yourself, your family, background, education, work, hobbies, all the things so people get to know you. Let people know the real Keith. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So here's a little thing is that Christine and I were trying to figure out, Christine's my wife, and we were trying to figure out what is it we do with all our kids gone? And so I started asking people, you know, what's your hobby? And by hobby, I would define it for them because people don't know how to think of hobbies. And so I'd say when you have free time, so after all your responsibilities, whatever you think your responsibilities are, after that's done and you've got some free time, and I understand that's different amounts of time for people in different stages of life. But what do you do? Because I don't know what I do. Like I was trying to figure it out. I feel like I could answer it for you. Oh, good. What do I do? I feel like, because similar to me, I mean, I'm not in the empty nester stage at all. I have little kids at home, but you like to eat. You guys like to go to dinners and eat. Well, I do like And you food. go on tons of walks. And you guys like to cook. Like food is a big part of your hobby, I feel like. Well, so it's funny how well you guys know me. So our kids are 20, 22, 26, 27. So they've been gone for a while. And last summer was the summer that we went on these walks. Christine and I would go on walks at night. And this summer we've gone on almost zero walks. That's funny. Because oh. what we've done instead is we've started cooking dinner. Cooking See, dinner we together. know you. Yeah. So we, we got some different cookbooks and places, resources we find food, and then we like to make things new. So Christine doesn't like to do that. I like to find new stuff, and then she goes along with it if I'll find a recipe. But like when you cook, do you follow a recipe? I don't want to probably a better one. To I don't want to sound weird and like braggadocious in this, but cooking is my it's like become my passion. I say I feel like I miss my calling. I would have loved to go to culinary school. I love to cook. And sometimes if I don't know how to I don't know how to like bake bread. So I will have to look up a recipe for that. But if I'm just cooking with spices, I do have a, I feel like a natural ability to just kind of throw stuff together. And then Mm. people will often say like, oh, well, what would you put in that? And I'm like, I kind of eyeballed this and that, but you know, so I'm no. so jealous yeah, of that. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, and I'm like, eh. But I've gotten know, better in it. like rice and chicken and a vegetable. So I'm you, like very you stay with very basic stuff. Yeah. Well, food and you've like, got little I kids. I like food because of community, but I don't necessarily, I'm not a foodie. Oh. Like I will literally eat whatever and I literally don't care. Oh, I can but do I love that, eating but I love it so, people. but I'm a recipe follower. I'm mm-hmm. not a cook, right? Mm-hmm. And I follow the recipe and <laughs> sometimes it's ridiculous because how many times I read that recipe and I go back and triple check it and all that stuff. But we've, Got some home run recipes. Oh. Now yeah, well, I was going to say, what Share is one of the one. favorite things that you've made? So one we've made for a few different people is like this beef and broccoli with coconut rice and spices and stuff in it. And it's really good. It sounds oh, delicious. Samantha and I have missed our invite. 
I yeah. guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, we are not some of those people, but that sounds delicious. Yeah, that oh. sounds awesome. Maybe we can link that recipe for everyone. It sounds yeah. good. <laughs> that's, no, that's the kind of thing we do. We'll it link is the so recipe. funny you bring that up, though, because when I'm cooking, I'm like, how I feel like I have a decent memory in life just like for things. And why is it when cooking, I have to literally look at a recipe and then I go do the one tiny little thing. Like <laughs> yes. I open my spice cabinet and Did I'm like, forget? what yeah. was I getting? Oh, wait, what? And am I getting this? Oh, and this? I'm like, totally I'm just the like, same. What the heck? It drives me nuts how many times I have to like refresh my phone because it like dies. You need a Google home we got one randomly as a gift like I didn't know I wanted one whatever but I actually have loved it because you can be like hey Google set a timer when you're cooking and then also you can have it pull up recipes and it will read it out to you. You use that thing a ton. I do it's I mean if it's going to be in there I'm going to use it yeah so anyways okay well you guys like to cook that's awesome. Okay beef and broccoli coconut rice and you shared you have the kids and it's three boys one girl what do you do for work? You're going to have a son-in-law that's big yeah your first son-in-law I assume when people hear this that my first child to be married will be married. She's 26 now and she's getting cry? married to a great guy. I don't know. I'm I'm going to officiate, I think, probably. You know, this is like a week or so away. Yeah, I'm like, hey, and I don't think know? I'm going to do that. She thinks I'm going to do it at mm-hmm. least. I have this idea in my head that I could still bail on it if I didn't feel like it was the right thing to do. The last thing I want to do is be emotional at my daughter's wedding because I don't want to draw attention away from her and her husband, right? And make it about the blubbering pastor. So I don't know. Hopefully I can just put my game face on and go. I kind of feel like you're going to lose it. Well, then I'm not going <laughs> to No, you'll officiate. be great. My dad is also a pastor and he officiated our wedding. And one of the most hilarious pictures that we have is that he like walked me down the aisle with the other pastor who did our like premarital counseling uh-huh. and then they switched spots because right. I still wanted him to walk me down. Anyways, hilarious. I have like a little handkerchief in my hand and the picture is literally snot falling out of my face oh my and my oh. handkerchief falling and my dad also like just streaming like one oh. tiny little cute little tear. He looks amazing and I look like a disaster. <laughs> oh. I'm like, awesome. Why did we choose to do this? Oh but my goodness. Well, great. okay. Well, jump in. You kind of, we said, Christian said you're now an author. Does that feel weird to be known as an author? It's so weird because I, I read a lot of books. That's what I love to do. A hobby. But I never, well, I, I think of it as required in my life, not extra. But anyway, I never thought I would actually write a book. And I don't think it was a plan of mine to say, hey, I want to write a book someday. It's more like this topic that we wrote on found us so that we almost felt, Patrick and I almost felt like we just compelled. Like we have a story to share here and it's such a needed story in our world today. And we've got to tell people. Yeah. And so the title of it is Truth Over Tribe. You guys also have a podcast. Maybe some people listening to this also could be familiar and listen to their podcast, Truth Over Tribe. But what do you mean by that little phrase, Truth Over Tribe? What does that mean? Explain it to people. Yeah. So I think it kind of starts a few years ago when the world was kind of fracturing politically, culturally, and people started to form these little tribes. And that those tribes, those fractured groups, didn't just affect society, they affected churches. And churches were fracturing. And And what I found was that people's questions they had for me changed. So people might come and they might say, hey, what do you believe about spiritual gifts? Or what do you believe about baptism? Or those kinds of biblical theological questions, predestination. And then all of a sudden, people started coming and 
with a different set of questions. Nobody asked about the Bible stuff. Instead, they asked more cultural questions like, what do you think about Black Lives Matter? What do you think about Trump? What do you think about Christian nationalism? And they were kind of asked from both the right and the left, but it showed that there was this new thing happening in the church and the church was being fractured so that people were now choosing churches based on political beliefs of either the church itself or the pastor or other people who went to that church. And Patrick and I were talking in our office, we share an office and we were kind of talking about it and kind of unintentionally, I just said, you know, it's like people need to start putting the truth over the tribe they're a part of. And we thought, oh, hang on a second, that might be something, truth over tribe, that we want to put truth. And for us, that could mean Jesus, or it could just mean pursuing the truth in the world over your tribal loyalties. And unfortunately, we're seeing more and more in our world that people are willing to side with their tribe against the truth. They don't even want to know the truth. They want to be more accepted and belong to their tribe. And so tribe over truth is what's common. We want people to do the opposite and put truth over tribe. And you know what I think is so interesting that I love, obviously, I listen to your all's podcast, and I think you guys cover amazing topics. So if you ever want to check that out, you should. But I think what's so interesting is like, obviously, we are made by a God who builds us in purpose of community, and even himself is in community. And I think it's just so interesting, like the idea of tribalism. I think, I mean, we've even talked about like, this is my tribe, or like my bride tribe, mama or tribe. like mama tribe. Like, yeah. I think we all crave this idea of like, we want to be a part of something. We want to be a part of like-minded people and people who think like like us, act like us, do life like us. Feel secure. And I don't think that's actually necessarily a wrong thing to be like, oh, I want to be surrounded by people who can encourage me and can support me. But I think that's what you're speaking to is like, but it's wrong when those things become like our truth over the actual truth of what is right or what is biblical or what God says is correct. And so I just think it's this weird idea of this like truth over tribe, but so good to be reminded by. Yeah, you're exactly right. There's a lot of ways that tribe can be used in a really positive way. It's nothing negative about the word. It's that when we let our tribe shape our beliefs so much that we no longer follow truth, we're no longer interested in truth. And here's the thing, and we cover this in, in, in the book, is that when you're a part of a group, it shapes the way you think. So to know that you are part of a team almost makes you not like the other team. We share a story in the book about how some researchers took some fifth grade boys to a camp and they thought they were the only group there. So there's two groups of boys, fifth grade boys. They think they're the only ones there and they're doing all these activities and games and stuff. And then they tell them, they say, hey, there's another group here. Would you like to compete against them? And the boys are like, yeah, you know, let's go do it. Let's do it. And they instantly started to dislike the other boys. They started making up names about the other boys and how the other boys weren't as good. They'd never met these kids in their life. They started competing in these games and the researchers kept the scores pretty even. So it was always like a close competition. And the boys started making up stories about how the other team was cheating and being unfair. In fact, one day they got in their swimming pool. One group of the boys got in their swimming pool and they go, it's colder. And they made up a story about how the other boys had snuck over and put ice cubes in the pool as if somehow that would have made it, you know, colder. So the point is that we, when we are on a team and it might be Republican or Democrat, or it might be gender teams or racial teams, or progressive, conservative, we start wanting our team to win and we start making up stories sometimes, or at least interpreting 
other people's actions on the other team in the worst negative light, putting the worst spin on it to make ourselves feel better. We want to not just be on a team, but we want to be on the winning team. And we're the good people and they're the bad people. It's it's, it's amazing how quickly that happens to us. Yeah. So as Christians, if you're someone who considers yourself a follower of Christ, we are taught and we know deep down in our heads that our sole allegiance is supposed to be to Jesus. But why is it so hard for us to stick with that and kind of reveal that by the way we live? So we all want to say that our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. And I guess maybe to some extent that's true. At least that's what we hope is true. But the reality is that we are more discipled by our culture than we'd probably like to admit. You know, you spend how much time in church? Maybe you go every Sunday, let's say. Most people probably don't make it every Sunday, but let's say you do. You go an hour a week. Maybe you're in a small group. Well, you know, that already puts you into a different set of Christians who go to church and in a small group. Let's just pretend it's every week. Well, let's say it's two hours, maybe three. Now think of how much time you spend on social media or how much time some people watch cable news or surf the internet. Sometimes it's hard for pastors and churches to compete with those other areas of life. And so what we find is that we're being more discipled by social media or by cable news than we are Jesus. And you can see that in how Christians behave and act. They don't reflect the values of Jesus. They don't live by the Sermon on the Mount. You know, they live more by the sermons of Tucker Carlson, or they don't live so much by the pages in the Bible as much as the pages of the New York Times. And that's really who's shaping and forming their beliefs. So if you want to follow Jesus, it means more than just saying it. It means putting yourself under his authority and following him in your day-to-day life. It means reading your Bible and being in Christian community and asking yourself, and my values reflecting Jesus is, is the way I spend my money or whatever, my words, my language, my politics reflecting Jesus or more the people I'm hanging out with or the things I'm watching on, online? Gosh, we could talk about that for a long, long time, because even as you say that, I remember this like aha moment. I'm an achiever. You guys have heard me say that. I'd love to like check boxes and do things and like have lists and do all the things. That's oh, my you personality. and me the same, girl. Oh, yeah. So it's bad. But I remember my first job out of college was in sales and I worked in sales for six years. And that was like almost dangerous for my personality because I could just like, you know, do all the things and be really good and hit all the numbers. And I remember, you know, I would go to conferences all the time and read all the time and learn from my like you know, peers and people above me that I was like, oh, I want to be a student of my own game. I want to study this. I want to be the best salesperson I can be. And then I had this aha moment. It was like when God was really working on my heart. And I was like, wait, I'm spending so much time being a student of this game to be the best salesperson I can be when like I, I want my first like identity to be as a child of God and a disciple for him. But I'm like, how much am I actually being like a student of him? Like how much am I actually spending my time studying his word and spending time in community with him and praying and like meditating on his word. Like it was like such this aha. It sounds so dumb coming out of my mouth now, but I was like, wait, I'm like, I even say that now. I'm like, you know, my husband and I talk about that now. I'm like student of our own game. Let's study up. Let's do this. But I'm like, wait, why do we not do that? And why do we take that not as seriously with our relationship with Jesus and getting to know him and spending time with him versus other things of this world? I mean, you mentioned social media and Netflix and all the things. I mean, yeah, we could talk about that forever. It's convicting to me. So tell us this, because I feel like this is what we're all kind of struggling with currently. As Christians, sometimes it feels like we cannot have a biblical truth-based viewpoint on worldly topics and also love others well 
and be able to kind of still have conversations with them and have relationships with them. So how do we do that? Well, how do we live lives that are in line with the gospel, but also, you know, stay grounded in the truth from the Bible? So if I hear you right, you're saying, how do I live with my friends who maybe disagree with me and hold to my convictions without offending them or turning them off? And man, I I think that's a great question because a lot of us have silenced ourselves because we're so afraid of offending other people. One of the issues that tribalism causes is anxiety in our life as we are worried that maybe we're going to say the wrong thing, turn people off. And so one thing that people do to prevent that from happening is they just stop talking about substantive issues. They just talk about, you know, how your kid's doing or what sports are you involved in, that kind of thing. How's your workout going? Instead of talking about meatier issues that are happening in our culture, But I hate that. I can only talk about kids' sports for so long, and I'm just like, okay, I am over. I don't care how your sixth grader did in volleyball. I just don't care really. I can pretend to care for a short period of time, but short. I want to talk about the issues, and I love to talk about people who disagree with me. But part of that is not feeling like you have to convince other people. What I want to do is put myself in the position where I'm asking questions and learning, because usually the other person has something to teach me, even if I think they're mostly wrong. They've got something to teach me. So if you stop trying to think of everything as an argument where you've got to win or lose and instead explore a topic with somebody who comes from a different perspective. I think that's really healthy and just makes life more fun and friendships deeper, you know, like going there. You go there on hard topics. It makes the friendship richer, more meaningful. Yeah. I mean, like you said in the beginning, you can only go so deep with a friend if you're talking about just surface level topical things. Like, yeah, maybe even if it's not politics, like we encourage girls to do that all the time. Like you have to get vulnerable. You have to push past and go to some of those awkward topics because you're going to leave the friendship and think, oh, well, that never even really felt like much of a relationship because I only knew what their favorite nail color was and what they liked to eat for lunch. You know, that only goes so far. But if you ask somebody what their experience is with race or what their politics are, and then you just kind of explore it together. Boy, that could be a really fun conversation, and you would probably learn something, and you might even change your mind. I mean, that's one thing to ask is, when's the last time I changed my mind on something significant and substantive? And for a lot of us, it's hard because we are around people that think like us, or we don't broach topics if if we're worried that people don't already believe the same things we do. But there was this article in the New York Times. And with it, they had this interactive thing where you could put in your street address and it would tell you what the registrations, the political registrations of the people who lived within a certain radius around you. And, you know, we live in a blue city in a red state. And so we have to deal with the fact that there's a lot of people around us who think differently than we do, whatever side you're on. And I, I put our address in there, Mindy Christine's address in there, and it was almost 50-50. But for a lot of people, that's no longer true. You know, we've sorted ourselves across the country so that we tend to live with people who think like we do. And I think that's hurt us as a country because you don't know people who are different and therefore you create stories. Remember we were talking about the fifth grade boys, create stories about how bad the other people are. We do that about progressives or conservatives or black people or white people or rich or poor or whatever. But if you're around people who disagree with you, you realize, well, I don't agree with them, but you know what? They love their family and they baked a, a meal for the sick family down the street and they have the same kind of hopes for their family that I do for mine. No, we disagree on things. I don't want to minimize that. It's just that you find that what you have in common is greater. 
Yeah, it reminds me of you guys talk about a story in the book, first few chapters of the family who find out they're at a reunion. They find out that someone else has voted differently than they have, and they it pretty much fractures their family. They don't talk for years, and it's so sad how familiar that narrative is in our world now, is that I can think of, I mean, I know families who have been fractured by just differing opinions, and they have built no bridge to say like, well, you know, you and I think differently. We can have respect for each other and how we think. But let's like figure out why do you have that perspective and why do I have my perspective? And they, you know, our hope would be that they could continue as a family and still love each other and find more commonality in that than who they vote for. But it's just so sad how familiar that story is. Somehow we got convinced that our politics are more important than our family and our friendships. And that's a sad place to be. Your life is going to be less full. It's going to be emptier if you don't have good friends who think differently than you do about all kinds of issues. Yeah. Well, like you said, it's a lot different when you can sit across the table from someone. You know, there's another story in the book about taking someone out to coffee and just like getting totally different perspectives that kind of created like a rift. And it was kind of within the community. And you can read about it in the book, the specifics. But Going to coffee or going to lunch and looking across the table in someone's eyes and hearing their personal stories. I mean, at this point in our lives, growing up, I think we hear a lot about how our parents view the world or how they vote, maybe, or people, like you said, we're surrounded with, and maybe that informs our own opinions. But as you get older, a lot of our own life experiences are what informs our beliefs on certain topics. And so when I can listen to a girl talk about something and give a personal reason for why maybe she believes differently than I can, I have a lot more empathy. Just like you said, might not change my mind or might not fully agree, but I can look at her and love her in that and have more of an understanding to respect people that believe differently than me. So I think that's super important and that's what we're missing. You know the story about James and John wanting to call down fire on the Samaritans? And if you think about that, they'd been following Jesus for a while and they'd completely missed the heart of Jesus. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die for Samaritans. Jesus is approaching the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus is reaching out and offering grace and forgiveness to Samaritans. James and John, who've been following Jesus, want to call down fire on them. And you're a little bit like, this is crazy. But think about this for a second. I bet James and John didn't have any friendships with Samaritans. Because of their religious difference and cultural differences, they lived separate lives. And in that story, they're going through a Samaritan town and they think they've been treated rudely and that's why they want to call down the fire on them. If you don't know people, it's easy to believe stories about them that aren't true. It's easy to develop an anger and to see that they're the problem in the world. And if you know people, though, but if you know people, it's harder to do that because you realize it's a bit more complicated and they have reasons and they have their own set of experiences and they have their own life story. And it doesn't mean they're right. They very well may be wrong, but you can love them like Jesus did instead of wanting to call down fire and judge them and feel like we beat you. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and even in the book, you talk through a few of these examples, but I want to hear like personal stories from you. What are some practical ways that you have had to choose truth over tribe? And like, what did that cost you? Because I think the reality is, is that we can have these conversations with people who do believe or think differently than us that will cost us at something. So like, what is your experience with that? I don't know. What did you feel like you gained or won from that too? 
Well, like I said, we are a part of a church in a blue city in a red state. So we have a politically diverse church in a politically diverse town. And anytime you take a position, anytime you lead on a topic in today's fractured world, you're going to get a lot of pushback. So to be frank, we have lots of stories where we paid a price for standing up for what we thought was the truth. But let me tell you about after George Floyd was murdered. And, you know, at that point, we didn't know all the details. Everybody had seen that horrible video. Now, though, we know that the police officer was convicted of the crime. And we can confidently say that after the judicial process, George Floyd was murdered. But if you go back to right after that happened, we had to decide what are we going to say about that? Anything on Sunday morning? And we decided, yes, we should. We should lament what we saw. Now, there's a lot of evil things that happen in the world, and we can't lament all of those every Sunday. But this is something our whole nation watched, our whole nation was talking about. And we had said going into that Sunday, we want to take a time to lament, just to sit in the sadness and ask God to heal us as people and as a nation. But that Sunday morning, when we got to church, we were getting hit up on social media saying, if you guys don't talk about this, we are never coming back to the crossing. Well, we had already planned on talking about it, so that wasn't an issue. We were going to do it, and we did what we were going to do. And then afterwards, we had people on the other team saying, how dare you do that? What do you think? All cops are bad. So nobody wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Everybody just wanted the church to parrot what their political tribe was saying. So that has cost us as as a church because some people on both sides who are looking more for their beliefs to be uh, proclaimed from the pulpit than they are really trying to find the way of Jesus, they get mad, they get angry, they tell people you're a bad church and blah, blah, blah. So that's one example of how we tried to say, we're just going to do what Jesus would want us to do here and we'll accept the fallout. But we're always disappointing one side or the other. There's enough things that we do that conservatives think we're a liberal church and people who are liberal think we're a conservative church. And we're like, you know, Jesus's platform cannot be contained by Republicans or Democrats. Jesus is bigger than that. You can't take what Jesus is about and say, well, that's the Republicans or that's the Democrats or independents or libertarians. It's just impossible to do. But I will say I grew up in a culture that said you could do that. And I just want to be vulnerable. So when I started coming to the crossing, I was just really closed minded and had grown up, you know, a certain way. And like I was saying earlier, as we get older, we start kind of exploring things with our own minds and brains and through our own experiences. But I was in a Bible study. This was oh probably eight years ago, seven or eight years ago. And I had been with this group of girls for the entire year. So we had really gotten to know each other and it came around to the election. And before this Bible study, I genuinely kind of grew up in a Christian culture where other than like one grandma I had that knew voted a different way and it was like a kind of known jokey thing in our family that she voted really differently. Other than that, everyone in my life voted the same way and in my church. And so I genuinely didn't know that there was like options for Christians. Like Christians could be a part of another political party. Exactly. And so I'm sitting in this Bible study and it was like a Thursday. The election had just happened and we come in this room And some of the girls, I mean, are truly distraught. They're like grieving over the results of the election. And then the other half of the group, we were like content with what had happened in the election and excited about it. And it was genuinely the first time that I was like, wait, Christians can vote differently? Like, I did not understand how. And it took me some time to dissect, well, like, no, they probably shouldn't be voting that way. But then like hearing perspectives like we talked about, 
it was so eye-opening for me. And so I think that's so easily distinguished now is like there isn't this Christian role with different political parties. But I do think in the bigger culture and in church in the way that a lot of us maybe grew up in the church, that was the narrative that you were supposed to vote away a certain way. I don't know. Maybe that was just my experience. But So Christians, evangelical white Christians, are identified with the Republican Party. We know that just from the polling. And I don't think that's necessarily all bad. I mean, I I think that a person could identify as a Republican and be a Christian for all kinds of reasons. And I think somebody could say, I'm a Democrat and I identify as a Christian. My question is always to them is, is your loyalty to Jesus greater? Are you willing to say to your own political party, your own political tribe, here's what I think you have wrong. If you think the Republicans have it all right or the Democrats have it all right, then you've missed something big because neither of them, like we said, can contain what Jesus is all about. So the courage comes when you, if you're a Republican and you say, hey, I can follow the Republicans on these issues and that's why I vote for them, but I don't follow them on these issues. I think they're wrong on these issues. And you might get some pushback by your fellow Republican friends in your group. And of course, the same thing on the Democratic side. So it takes courage to say hard things to your tribe. Here's where I agree and disagree. I think that a lot of Christians that I respect right now would almost think I'm politically homeless. I'm not sure. Now, I vote one way or the other, but I don't feel completely comfortable in either political party. And I've been open on this on our podcast and with other people, so it's no great surprise to people who listen to Truth or Tribe that I didn't vote for Trump or Hillary, and I didn't vote for Trump or Biden this last time I voted for Kanye. Me and my boys, we went Kanye. Who's uh, your boys? Like your friends or your sons? Oh, my sons. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, not my boys. Like my posse. Like my boys. Like my tribe. Like my boys. Like literally my biological children. Okay, I'm sorry. Like I, actual I wanted boys. to clarify that. Didn't it sound like me and my boys, we rolled up to our voting sites and we, we voted for Kanye. I'm not near that cool. No, my <laughs> boys and I, we voted for Kanye because it was our way of protesting. He had had Jesus as king out, you know, and we thought that was pretty fun. But I didn't vote for either one of them because I didn't think either candidate needed Either election earned my vote. I didn't think they met the minimum requirement out there to earn my vote. Yeah. Now, everybody could have a different perspective. And I respected people who kind of said, boy, I, I held my nose and voted for either side. What, the only thing I didn't quite understand, only thing I didn't quite understand was people who are really super enthusiastic about either side. I could see voting for either one, but going, I agree and disagree here and there with them. Oh, I mean, I feel like for people that aren't used to listening to your content, like that's I just know some people in my life personally that that is like huge that you just said that you voted that way and that you kind of have like the thing you didn't understand about voting for both sides. So like some of you might be like very kind of just shocked right now by that because I think a lot of people are. Yeah. Well, yeah. So talking about like politics specifically, is it bad not to care? So you're talking about obviously voting one or the other or, you know, being on a side and you're saying like, hey, I actually kind of think it's wise to like not be gung ho on either side and actually kind of have a mix. But like, can we just not care? Like, can we just be naive and be like, mm, I'm just not going to care? Boy, I think that's a great question. And I think it depends on what we're talking about. If what we're talking about is do I have to care about the political horse race, what the media covers every day and, you know, who's ahead and who's behind and who said what and what's the Washington gossip? Because our our political system has turned into like a big TV show, like a big TV drama. And do I have to stay up on all that? No, of course you do not have to. Most people can't. Most people have lives. And oftentimes keeping up with a horse race on a day-to-day basis saps the joy out of your life. So no, you don't have to. 
But if the question is, can I ignore politics, the substance, the policies, I think the answer is no, because that's one of the ways we love our neighbors. People would say, and I think there's some some truth in this, that people who don't have to care about those issues are probably people who are doing pretty well in life. But people who are struggling, are they going to get food stamps? How much? What's justice look like? And oftentimes justice looks like politics. It's a way that we love our neighbors. So I think we have to care about these issues and vote responsibly. But it doesn't mean that we have to follow cable news and read all the newspapers and know all the inside gossip. But yes, politics is one of the important ways that we love our neighbors by pursuing a just world. Mm-hmm. I love that you made that distinction because I do think a lot of I think a lot of our age group or just in 20s, 30s, I think, I don't know, I feel like I've heard people say like, I just don't want to care. And I've probably even said that. And I think that's a good distinction because, yeah, can we be totally involved in the like media of the horse race and the rat race of just like, what is the drama that's happening today? I think you know, it even takes me to like check my heart. Of, like, how much time am I spending like getting the latest news on the like political race versus like spending time with Jesus? I mean, really, it's probably a time suck. But then, yeah, what is my role in loving my ni- neighbors and wanting our community to flourish as God created us in communities and he placed me in this spot and that my city in this family unit and this, you know, like workplace, whatever it may be that like I have responsibility there to make smart decisions and be prayerful and have wisdom in what I think God is calling me to and how that looks to flourish. And maybe the place to start is just your local community and invest more in that. Our tendency is to care about the national race and the national drama, but really we're affected more by what happens in our local area. So just for example, who's on your school board? Well, that person's going to have a lot of influence in a lot of kids' lives. So making sure that you are informed about the school board election, or let's say making sure that your community is friendly to businesses that come in. Well, that's going to be a big deal because if more businesses come in, good businesses offering quality jobs, people in your community are going to be able to get good jobs with benefits and provide for their families. But you want to have responsible businesses that aren't destroying the the environment in your city. So you have to be educated because that's the way you love your neighbor to help them have an opportunity for a good job, but not have an environment that's destroyed. Now, as it gets more national, you know, the state and then the national election, everybody has different amounts of time. But I think being informed on those issues is important. Something that has come up a lot of the last few years in my family, in my community, my group of friends, is this question of should you be voting on someone based on who they are or their political values and principles and things that they're running on? I bet that's come up in your family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you're so good at using kind of coded language, yeah, yeah. but we all know what you're saying, yeah. right? Don't we? So this goes back to the tribalism thing. So let's just so let's just think about this. In the early '90s, Bill Clinton was president, and he is infamous for his affair with Monica Lewinsky. And Christian conservatives were appalled by it and said things like, "Character really matters." And you can go back and look at the quotes from all the Christian leaders and how they said that Bill Clinton should resign, and we cannot have a person like this setting this kind of moral example for our country. It's really hurting kids, and blah blah blah. I mean, they went on and on and on. And then some. Some of those same people supported Donald Trump, 
who had his own character issues, really big character issues. And all of a sudden, they didn't care about character anymore. And it makes you wonder, did they ever care about character? Or was it just they, they didn't like Bill Clinton's policies and they did like Donald Trump's policies? So the hypocrisy there is crazy. At least be consistent. At least be consistent. That's just a bare minimum. Now, for me personally, I think you have to have a certain amount of character, a certain level of public character in order to get my vote. I will not vote for people who lie and distort the truth. I just won't do it. And that doesn't mean everybody can't do it. I'm not trying to say that my views should be your views. I'm just saying that I won't do it. So if they meet a minimum level of character, especially in how they handle their public life and what's known, then I can move to their policies and say, well, what kind of policies do they promote? And do I think that those are going to be best for the community, best for the nation, help people flourish? So do I think character matters? Absolutely. Of course it does. I don't know how you can be excited about a person in office, a leader who has bad character, because you're not going to read all those bills. You don't know what happens in all those phone conversations in the administration of government. You're trusting people there to do the right thing. And if you can't trust them, then I don't know how you can cast your vote for them. Well, Correct me in this little idea that I had. Actually, I had this conversation this week. Tell me if there's this is flawed, but I kind of see both sides of it. I've like listened to both sides, and I was kind of making an argument for saying, yes, you do need to care about the character. And I was saying, I was bringing it down, you know, is if our president is our representation of our country or if our school board members are the representatives of our local community and our school systems and making decisions. I brought it down for some specific people who own a business, and I said, okay, If you had to hire a new CEO of this business, how would you feel if this person had some like really great business qualities and were known for like really turning companies around, making them a lot of money, but they were kind of hated in the community. They openly cheated on their wife, was a horrible father to their children, was just like a slimy person in general. I was like, you would never hire that person to represent your company. And then I took it and everyone's kind of like, okay, yeah. And then I took it to, what about our church? What if we had a pastor that we were thinking about hiring or bringing in to lead a church that had all of these really strong theological points, but they also were going out in the community and like not like holding true to those things and living a completely different life? Or what if our mayor in Columbia, I mean, I don't know if any of us, you know, some people might not even know who our mayor is or something like that. But what if it was known in all of Missouri that Columbia, Missouri had this mayor that was just like this horrible person, but you're like, oh, well, he's kind of making some changes in Columbia. Who cares? It's like you kind of do need to care about who is representing whatever you're a part of. You should care, I guess, in that way. When you break it down like that, I'm like, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Now, some people are going to say, look, when we hire a president or vote for a president, we're not voting or hiring a pastor. And they're going to say that character matters more in some areas than than others. We're not proposing to, to our presidential nominee, right? We're not marrying him or her. We're just asking them to do a job. And I, I get that. There's truth to that. I'm not saying that any of our presidents in the past that we all admire have been perfect saints. Of course they haven't. But there seems to be a minimum level of character necessary for the job. And sometimes, I think we've got ourselves in a position as a country where our candidates aren't meeting that minimum level. Now, that's not true of all of them. We have some people who are upstanding, high character people who are running, but lately it feels like we are headed the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, so Samantha and I have gotten to read most of your book, not all of it. I'll admit, that not was all nice of it of yet, you. but it's so good. I read it and, all now. Oh, it's okay. A very, can I just say for everyone listening, I truly thought when I heard you guys were going to write this book that it was going to be maybe a more research based, like a lot of facts and numbers. And I was thinking, you know, I'll read it to support you guys and stuff. But when I started reading it, it's such a fun, like digestible read. It's a lot of stories. And I love that as um, just examples. So it's a really quick read. I yeah, it's it. a very quick read. Yeah, super digestible and really entertaining, honestly, to read. I really enjoyed it. And so props to you all. But we obviously talked about why you got into this whole truth over tribe just idea anyways. But what is your biggest hope of people reading the book? What are you hoping comes from this coming out and people reading it? Well, first, thanks for taking the time to read the book and the nice things that you said about it. And we do tell the story. It's a story of our church and how we've tried to navigate this in the last few years. It's a story about that we're all experiencing in our day-to-day life. So it's not an academic book at all. What I hope is that people who are Christians, because that's who we're mainly targeting, is people who think of themselves as Christians, maybe go to church sometimes, and we want those people to put their loyalty to Jesus above their political party. We want people to put the truth of Christ over their tribe and be willing to follow Jesus and not get torn apart. The church is being torn apart, like we talked about earlier, and I think that breaks God's heart, and it's really bad for our witness in the community. What we have in common in Jesus is far greater than what we don't. You know, they asked people, would you rather your child marry someone of a different faith or of a different political background? And a lot of people said they would rather their child marry someone with different beliefs about Christ and Christianity instead of the different politics. And that is a tragedy because we're missing out the unity that we have in Christ, how we can learn from one another. So that's our hope is that people would put truth of Jesus over their political tribalism. Mm-hmm. I love that. I well, love that. can you tell everyone where they can find your book when it releases and how they can get their hands on it if they want to read it? Sure. Thanks. I'd love to. It releases on October 4th, so you can get it wherever you buy books, right? You can pre-order it on Amazon or whenever you're ready to get it. And you can get an audible version that Patrick and I, an audio version that Patrick and I read, which was pretty fun to do. So yeah, anyway. And I really thought you were about to say you can get an autographed copy <laughs> by coming and stalking me at my house you or my front of my church. Yes. Yeah, we'll make sure to put your address version. so people can come by. Yeah. No, we really appreciate you coming on, though. We will make sure to tag if you guys don't already listen to Truth Over Tribe. It's a really excellent podcast, very different than going there. But I learn a ton and I am constantly challenged by the topics they cover. So make sure to check that out and then also get the book. It's a really good read. But congrats to you all, Keith. And thanks yeah. for your hard work and putting that on with Patrick because I hope it really challenges hearts and minds to be pointed more towards Jesus and not into the world. So thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at Going There, the podcast. And it also means so much to us if you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.